Let me tell you something. We said a last speed record getting down. <laughs> I almost broke my ankle. Room. It was almost like we passed through a time portal or something. It was like the Willy Wonka elevator. It was incredible. Once I stood up, I knew I was going to be okay. Ooh, listen to me. I'm and louder me. than you. Oh, I like it. Hello. Uh, welcome to the inaugural uh, episode of The Grotto Pod, my favorite book. <laughs> Those of you who can't read the screen can read my chest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Our first guest uh, is Vanessa Waugh. Thank God, because yes. we can count on Vanessa. But I want to give you a little background. Um, Vanessa is the author of one collection of short stories, Deceit and Other Possibilities, which was the winner of the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature and a California Book Award finalist. Her next book, River of Stars, is a novel that comes out in August. Bridget? And looks like that. Ooh, pretty. And you may recognize her name because she is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. So welcome, Vanessa. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So, Vanessa, uh, let's dive right in. Your favorite book is not actually a book. It's a series. And that series is? The Little House series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. So I actually want to start with a question. I see some fellow males out there. How many guys out there have read these books? Thank you, Alejandro. The librarian. The librarian has read the book. Only realized male. Um, Larry, how about you? I read one today. (laughs) I read Little House in the Big Woods today. And? I know how to cure meat now. (laughs) And make butter. And make butter. And make uh, make a balloon out out of of a a, pig's bladder. And and make a doll out of a corn cob named Susan. Um, But... Let's start at the beginning. But there was hunting. There were manly pursuits in there. They were like off camera, though, weren't they? No, there were a lot of, in, a lot of encounters with bears. But later, there's paws hunted by right. a panther. They have to ford a raging river. There's many there's, acts. There's blindness. Well, we're going to get into that. I don't want to get bogged down with that now, because I really want to start <laughs> by talking about how you encountered the book. You know, when we talk about our favorite book, um, when we first came up with this idea... The idea of your favorite book can be anything. It can be a book you go back to over and over again. It can be a book that had a huge impact on you as a writer or even as a person. Um, So let's kind of take that lens and start with when you first encountered these books. Well, I I have an older sister. She's eight years older. And as with many books um, I first got introduced to, it was probably because they were just sitting on the shelf. So somehow it passed into the house and I sought it out. So there was never any, Vanessa, you should check this out. You just picked it up. Yes. We, we had, my parents, uh, were into free reign parenting before it was a thing. (laughs) Yes. Mine as well. Yes. Um, Well, it's a good thing. That's all you picked up. Happenstance. Uh, at that age, yes. Yeah, at that age. <laughs> but, you know, so what was it about the book or the books that, you know, were you captivated that by them right you, away? Yeah. I think I, I, I found the idea of adventure and exploration um, to be really compelling. My own, you know, I'm a daughter of Chinese immigrants born in the U.S. myself, but just that notion of picking up... Um, and you know our family crossing oceans and her family crossing the prairie, I, I found a certain kind of kinship. And I, I, I think just that idea, I, I mean, Laura as a character is very feisty um, and 
getting herself in trouble. And that was something else I could relate to. And also she wanted to be a writer, even though it's, you know, it's interesting. In one of the later books, um, she even reprints an essay that she wrote in class that it turns out she saved her entire life. Like this essay she penned Mm -hmm. as a teenager meant so much to her. Um, And it was, it was just this idea that even if she wasn't, um, didn't portray herself as a writer in the series, her name was on the cover. So I knew that she was a little girl who grew up to write books. Now that's interesting to me because like I said, I read Little House in the Big Woods today. It can be done. And I had the advantage for this conversation of reading it, thinking of you the whole time and thinking, how would this speak to little Vanessa? Like, how old were you when you first read it? I don't remember. It was, it's always little, little. Yeah. But out there in the suburbs and reading about this girl. And and I guess it's interesting you use the word adventure because I would say to me, it didn't seem like adventure. Now I haven't had the advantage of reading the other books where apparently they forge streams and are attacked by people and, all kinds of stuff, but all the good things. Did you see adventure even in this first book where they're churning butter and making? It just seems so self-sufficient, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't need to go to the store; just make you can make the butter at home. <laughs> and there's something really for a suburban kid. Was there something really exotic about that? I mean, I suppose, or just I didn't go around. Uh, like it was, it's of a different time, right? Mm-hmm. They. Um, they they ride sleds. They they're in a wagon, and mm-hmm. um, it just seemed they play like the fiddle at night. They play the fiddle at night. <laughs> so <clears throat> that I found actually really attractive because you know considering the world that we live in now, where you nobody plays a fiddle at night. There must you could be listen somebody. To fiddle music depends on if you're a fiddler. We could download some MP3s <laughs> of fiddle music, but this idea of how how tactile and immediate everything was for them. Did that really speak to you as a suburban kid? Or just, again, the self-sufficiency. It's like if you needed a wooden floor, you hewed logs to do it. If you needed to make a roof, you, you, I think I remember there was some detail, like they didn't have nails, so they like carved out pegs to, to hammer in the pegs. Yeah, and there's a big chapter about him making bullets. Right, which always fascinated me. I know, that, what's there not to like? Right, you sort of save the scraps of it. Like, waste not, want right. not. Every which, single thing matters. Which is maybe, in a way, like, kind of immigrant, too. Because my parents, even, you know, growing up, it's like, if there was, like, a bite left of the sandwich, we'd take it home. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, don't look in our freezer now, because Cause you have there's a lot of delicious things. Rinds. Rinds. Oh, well... Delicious leftovers. Delicious leftovers. Do but, you take rolls out of restaurants too? Uh, we waste not, want not. Okay, okay. Um, and, and what about, you know, one thing that struck me is how these girls would be so psyched at having like a broken cup to play with. I wonder if we have to set the scene a little bit. Like, do, yeah, does maybe. everyone know the Little House books? I mean, there's that Except for TV the guys show. in the room. I, no. Except, and Alejandro. Yeah, well, and maybe some people have seen the television show, but this one over here, yeah, this adventurer, she knows nothing. So I, I think it would be good to maybe just give yeah, a little yeah. overview of, <clears throat> of what the Little House books are. So it's about a pioneer family, uh, the, the Ingalls family, and as portrayed in the series, um, it's Ma, Pa, Laura, her sister, um, Mary. Mary, and Carrie is a baby, baby. but they, it turns out they're actually a son too, who, right. who passed away. So, I mean, that's something else we can talk about that they're sort of what she portrayed, um, in the series and kind of 
the story behind the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I think there's a little bit of a lesson there for writers. This is a writing pod- podcast that she wrote them originally as adult books and recast them. For she wrote, yeah, she wrote the first one in 1930 as, wait, wait, wait for it. Pioneer Girl. Pioneer Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at you. You know your history. You're Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> Although I don't deign to be, there are many experts far, with far more uh, Oh, for knowledge. sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, if, in case you don't know, the 20, uh, 2018 Pollard Surfer biography is a biography of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Prairie fires. But, Prairie and then there's fires. people who use survivalists who use her book as manuals. Oh, no because, way. Oh, yeah, because they want to learn when the end times come, oh, you're yeah. going to want your butter and <laughs> make your bullet <laughs> and, your floors and, and your bladder balloon. So. And your corn cob named Susan. Uh, <laughs> okay, noted. You know, I, I want to back up a little bit because in the intro, um, you know, we're up there in the children's room. Just right now. Just right now. Mm-hmm. Moments ago. <clears throat> Still a little out of breath. Um, you had said, specifically, you mentioned collaboration that this book meant something to you in terms of collaboration. It said something about collaboration. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I didn't, of course, know about the collaboration until later. Yeah. Not, not as a kid. As a kid, it was just Laura Ingalls Wilder on the right. cover. Um, but it was interesting. It's a really interesting mother-daughter story. Right. Yeah. Tormented, in fact. Mm-hmm. Do you want and to, with a little or, bit of a local local flavor. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So her daughter, um, as I mentioned in the intro, was a journalist here. Mm-hmm. And I think the last um, book in the series even sort of touches upon um, Ma's or Laura's adventures in San Francisco. And growing up in the Bay Area, I felt sort of, even though we were separated by decades, you know, I too had been by the Exploratorium, which was then... Um, which used to house the, the Pan world. Pacific Exposition. Yeah, the Pan yeah. Pacific Exposition. So it was that feeling of like we sort of had passed in the same space somehow. Like it, it, I felt a sort of connection. <clears throat> you know, San Francisco is a really good place for that because so much old stuff is still here. You could actually go to the Palace of, Palace of Fine Arts. Well, didn't a lot of stuff burn down in the fire too? Well, it was. No, this was after. If that. I could just, yeah. if I could just step in, <laughs> it was supposed to all be destroyed, and right. or or be allowed to, to be fall back into its natural state. Um, but San Franciscans loved it so much, the Palace of Fine Arts, that it was maintained. This but it was, was never after the earthquake. Okay, it was never intended yeah. to stay forever. In fact, right. it was supposed to be San Francisco showing the world we're back. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But, wait, wait, was the was the Eiffel Tower supposed to be knocked down or uh, the Eiffel Tower I, I was not supposed know. to be oh, permanent okay. either? Um, it was made for the World Exposition of eighteen or yeah, eighteen eighty nine. And see, you came to hear about the House in the Prairie, and, you <laughs> and got it was a not. History. It was not liked. It was and not today liked. we have Salesforce Tower as our monument for the Which ages. Is not I know. Temporary. I'm so excited. Um, so 1915 was when Laura Ingalls Wilder came here to hang out with her daughter at the Pan Pacific Exposition. And out of that was born the beginning. Was that the beginnings of the collaboration? I believe, you know, money was always an issue. Weird issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, the, they were, the I mean, you don't pick up and leave unless. No, I mean, as far as daughter giving them money. Oh, and right. Them borrowing money. Yes. There was, I mean, it, uh, if you read the you know, Prairie Fire, you'll, I was really surprised to learn that there is this sort of like control issue between them, you know, throughout their entire relationship. She even built them a house that they, a fancy house that they really didn't want Mm -hmm. and on the, their farm. And then they like, after a few years, moved back into their old house they'd (laughs) built by hand. So, 
I think that was a plot of the Beverly Hillbillies once too. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe that's where I'm they got sorry, it. I got distracted. But <clears throat> Rose Wilder became her mother's editor uh, pretty early on. And, and encouraged her to write. Yeah. As a writer then, you mentioned collaboration. How does that speak to you then? How, what's your experience with collaboration as a writer? So since I'm a newspaper journalist, uh, I've, I have experience being edited um, and working with like, you know, the editor or a photo editor, just like working in a team. And, you know, I love how if you go out on an assignment, you can sort of, you and the photographer can work together and play off, um, like in terms of getting the best interview. Um, I know speaking to the editor of my book that sometimes they've, or my agent, they've said that sometimes, um, some writers aren't that open to or used to being, Edited, right. whereas I've gotten used to my favorite line getting cut out of my story many, many times. So, um, but yet at the same time, I remember I worked on a TV segment and that takes collaboration to another level where everyone's writing notes and you're like... Are you talking about like the writer's room type of experience? Uh, it was for a documentary, mm. but just everyone was, we were reading the lines over of the script over and over again and it just seemed... Sort of, and everyone had something to say, and I realize it's just their process. But mm-hmm. um, I guess overall, I'm just saying that um, you know I enjoy collaborating, but I also find it interesting. Say, I've never written a book with someone. Do you think? Oh, I can't imagine. That. Yeah. Do you think writers in general, and you specifically, come by collaboration honestly, or is it something we have to learn? I how mean, to how to collaborate? Or yeah, getting good at collaborating. I mean the. the the act itself, the act of writing itself is so solitary. That's true. Well, and it's interesting because sometimes you'll go to writing workshops and sometimes, or often, it's all women. And it seems in some ways men have some more trouble um, being open to, to, <laughs> to criticism. Little House on the Prairie? To reading Little House on the Prairie. I think so, we need to go there because Larry keeps bringing it up. No, no, I, you don't have to. No, I think we do. So you... Okay. I'm just, so I, I no, I, I'm saying empirical evidence that I've found that it's interesting. When I said we're doing this book, I started kind of doing informal polls of people I knew, and most of the women's this. Oh man, I loved this book growing up. Oh, loved it. And most of the guys who not only had never read the book, but they never watched the TV show either. Me among them. Oh, I didn't watch the TV show really. You didn't. I was no, but ask she's too you young. That's why. Um, Like, when I was a kid, I actually wasn't interested in Little House on the Prairie, the TV show, but we only had two channels, and so I would watch whatever I could get. And I watched a lot of Well, you didn't have to watch it because you lived in Montana. You could just live it. Right. Well, that's actually funny because I was... Feared me, right? Did you make butter? We did all that stuff. Uh, We were not survivalists, but we could have been. But... um, I, that's why I never read them when I was a kid because I resisted. I felt like <laughs> I w- like it was too close. But maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's right. because I'm from the suburbs. And exactly. Right. It was exactly. exotic to you. And so I didn't read them until I had kids of my own and read them to my kids who really liked them. And you keep, well, you keep saying the word exotic. and I, do, I mean, it was different, but I don't know if I held it as exotic. Exotic is a loaded term. Far off lands type of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, to me, it, it felt way too close to home. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a dairy. Like I, I would look at the pictures. I would look at the cover and just be like, "Oh my god, I don't want to know." With bears? Did you ride bareback? Uh, I did sometimes ride bareback, not like that. 
it with also your petticoat? <laughs> Not with the petticoat. I once had my tube top fall down riding bareback. <laughs> uh, that was a very bad thing at 12. I almost never got over it. And I can't believe I just said While that. riding a horse? Yes, it was oh. horrible. And Blaze Jelinek was right there and saw everything. It Wait, his name was Blaze? Or was that his real name? That's a or that was his real name. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. We are Facebook friends if anyone wants to find him. Um, but uh, so. Uh, to my uh, point, though, that I sort of happened upon today, I thought maybe the reason why young boys didn't read this series was because for whatever reason, young boys are reading adventure, Call of the Wild, you know, maybe more exotic. Maybe it isn't the type of exotica that young boys like. I can't speak for myself because I was reading sports biographies. Well, I read, uh, my brother had this series, I, I forget, it was like, it was like boys' books that all had to do with, but no, no, well, it had something to do with sports, like, and there would be always a climactic yeah. sports scene. Uh, yeah, um, there were those, and there were Hardy Boys and junk like that. But, but there's certainly books, children's books that both... Right. So do you yeah. read them like to your Tales boys? of the Fourth Grade Nothing or right. the, whatever well, do you think the that's Panicula or... Do you think that's changed in the last 20 years, since we were kids? I mean, we were kids a lot longer ago. Than I you, know. But, we're older than But you. that's more gendered or... No, it's less gendered. There's, there's more of a crossover now. You know, we're not in our silos. Because, yeah, I mean, I was getting just handed sports... Here, read this, read this. Sports biographies, cars. Sports. I don't think that happened to me, actually. I but, mean, we're still at the stage where we're reading, like, Gerald and Piggy... Which seems to be, it's um, I mean, to your kids, to my kids, yeah, your, or they're reading them. How old are your kids? Uh, they're six. Oh, yeah. so you're you got your. So, for right. those who don't know, Vanessa has twin boys. Do you think you'll read them, the uh, Little House books, or maybe I well, will have them on, them on the and, shelf and yeah. they will come yeah. to exactly. It That's so also you true. put them up there, and then like you can do a little experiment. Put that up there. Put a little Call of the Wild. And then so, so the, not, the and then second book that. in the series is Farmer Boy. That's what I've been told. And there's, there's another book that's about a boy. I can't remember. It, so they're not super gendered in that way. The series. I'm trying to remember. It's been a well, long time. Yeah. There, no. Well, there's only well, F- Farmer Boy. Oh, Farmer Boy yeah. is is about Almanzo, right? Her husband as a kid, and then the Long Winter is about. How oh, right. He. That's a, that's I mean, it's not. It's still from Laura's point of view, but it yeah. shows how he like went through a blizzard and saved the town. There's that's many adventure. adventures. There's many adventures that in happen. that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, you know what struck me reading this book today? And again, I only read the first one, but wow! To they, I mean, they're just they're in that house. They don't leave. Or to town like once every two months. Right, and they far from get town. Some, At a certain point, I realized like, wait, furs. they only get candy once a year, and it's whorehound. I know. What it's is not that? even refined sugar. You know what? One of the things I remember when they get a chunk of maple syrup. Yeah. All the kids used to talk about these books was that they got an orange at Christmas. That was like yeah. a big thing. Like candy can But I actually, I found that chapter really touching. It's like, wow, that'd be great to just be over the moon because you got a pair of socks and a candy cane. You know, the, the, the real homestead is in, I think, South Dakota? Desmet. Is that North Dakota or South, South Dakota? Dakota? But it's the high plains. It's like winters are insane. And I just cannot, like, it's incredible to me to think people lived through that. Yeah. In, the way that in a tar did. paper shack. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh my God. Unbelievable. Well, I, it's interesting reading um, biographical information about her that when they got to that point, they were moving into town for the winter. Right. Yes, makes total sense. Staying out in the tar paper. Shop. I mean, how much? But more they lived in a you... hole in the ground. They were yeah. hobbits for a while, <laughs> right? Were they, what are they? Well, they had the furry feet. Earth and like, yeah, right. With the stovepipe, right, 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 right. Mean bad. That's nice and that's nice and warm. Yeah, <laughs> being in the earth. How much more adventure do you want? I, I want adventure where you actually leave the house. No, no, you want adventure that stars a boy, Larry. Yes, I think, I think so too. I think you're projecting, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, name one adventure at the. 
stars a girl you that first. you liked. Me? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to say, uh, let me think, Ronya, Ro- Ronya Robbins' daughter, is that what it's called? The Scandinavian one with the girl, Pippi, Pippi, uh, oh, Pippi Longstock. Okay, yeah, but it's, by, it's by the same, uh, by the same, Astrid, Astrid Lindgren. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one that I really liked. I can't remember. Well, I'm going to have to reveal some here is that I don't actually read adventurous books. Oh, because you read sports books, but sports are their own little. Uh, I think I book. read the um, <clears throat> Mary Lou Retton bio when I was a kid. Oh, my, my God. husband had a How crush on Mary Lou Retton when he was. Well, the hair was so cute. <laughs> oh, my God, really? Yeah. In the 84 Olympics. I yeah. mean, he was a in elementary school. That, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what I think about old. these books is that um, my daughter loved the Little House books. And, and she, she grew up in the city. And she grew up in the city. And her favorite movie, so at the very same time that she really loved the Little House books, her favorite movie was Miracle on Ice, which is the story of the 1984 U.S. hockey team. Or 1980. 80. 1980 U.S. hockey team. So it's not like she's so girly and loved girly books, but I think I think it was the self-reliance part that she was really into, like being out in the world and yeah. facing the elements. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get derailed in a discussion about if this is a girly book or not, because I think what is probably <laughs> what really speaks to us, you know, non-calloused city slickers is just this idea of being self-reliant and doing all this stuff on your own. I mean, the idea of like, what's your dad do for a living? Well, he leaves every day and kills a bear. And then he comes home and we eat it. And he's too tired to even play the fiddle. He's too tired to play the fiddle, yeah. But as we saw in the the Pulitzer uh, Prize-winning book, like often he was like a laborer working 300 miles away. Yeah, that surprised me. And then he got a job working in the railroad station as a clerk. Well, I mean, they are. A it, kind it was a hard scrabble life, right? It was definitely their entire lives were hard scrabble. But there is something about her vision of what it was, where she telescopes into these moments, like playing the fiddle at night and mm. being around the candlelight at night together, or just the emptiness of the prairie on a summer's yeah, day. Just... Exactly, it's really beautiful, and you can feel that there were these childhood moments that resonate through her life. As I mean, she by the time she was writing the books, it was. Kind oh. of becoming a lost world. So for sure, yeah. it was yeah. already a lost world. Yeah, but also I feel like the um, the lens through which she sees both of her parents is very heroic. As a, as a kid, when did you grow up? Seventies, eighties. Uh, I was born in nineteen seventy five. Nineteen seventy five. Okay, I just heard somebody on go. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's people in this audience who were born in the eighties. Or maybe even in the 90s. <laughs> Reveal yourself. Really? No, but how, how do you contrast that? Because we don't live in a time where parents are held up in that manner. Where you they... are not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> that is no secret. I thought you're supposed to hold them up like that. Right, but I think if your dad goes out and comes back with yeah. a deer draped over his shoulders every day, that's probably a little more... And then plays the fiddle. Mm. I think it's a different way of looking at things. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, but it wasn't like I did something like bowed to my parents when I entered them the house or anything like that either. But um, oh, good to know. I mean, that is good to know. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying um, there was just so much unspoken in terms of yeah. like knowing what they had, the sacrifices they made to come to another country to give up their family, their language, and you know all that. I mean, a lot of that is the story, right? Stranger in a strange land, yeah. coming to this new place. Having the family as what they're looking to as sort of as sort of, yeah, and, and Laura and Laura didn't necessarily feel like she fit in, like she was right. the country yeah. girl, the outsider. And she was an outsider. I also was really struck when you um, are there any books 
where the narrator's an insider <laughs> and no, like, I don't super think, popular. No, it's great. <laughs> it can't, I know, it's like, well, you have to have conflict. But also, I think that's part of what makes a writer is that moment of knowing that you're standing apart and watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that realization that you're seeing it happen. Yeah. <clears throat> that brings something up like something that. I wanted to talk about, too. Um, she's not only an outsider to the outside world, even within her family... She always yeah. feels like she's the second, the lesser child. She's got the mousy brown hair. She's got the rage. Yeah, she's got the second child <laughs> that's what, rage. That's what makes her so likable, don't you think? Yeah, a little but bit. But not yeah. knowing what your family situation growing up was, did that speak to you as well? Or oh, were you were you, you, were, were you Mary? <laughs> was I Mary? Yeah, did you have beautiful golden curls? Uh, I don't, I mean, actually, I never... Don't answer that. Um, I mean, I, I know some people say they have said like, oh, I wish I had blonde hair if they were Asian. But that was nothing I ever felt. I, I felt proud to to be Asian American. But I definitely also felt different mm-hmm. and that we were perceived as different by neighbors or people at school or, you know, just the inside of our house was different than the houses right. I saw on TV or in books or in friends' houses I went to. What about within the family? Are, the, are you the oldest child? I am the middle child, but um, it, the spacing is interesting. As a I mentioned, my sister is eight years older and my brother is 11 months younger. Oh, that's right. So in some ways, I got to be the youngest child. In other right. ways, I got mm. to be the oldest child. So. Okay. That's nice. You can kind of play it however you want. But I was really struck when you chose the book, how, when I started thinking about it, how much you do have in common with Laura Ingalls Wilder. I mean, it really is true because... <laughs> Grew up on the prairie. Well, but besides that, like she was a writer, she was a teacher, she was a columnist, um, she was a journalist. Like, well, yeah, it was interesting. She started writing in the newsletter about her expertise oh, yeah. in raising hens. Right. And then built her the, way up. And, no. Yeah, and where did she that was newsletter the hen lady. go? It was like a farmer's newsletter? It was like a poultry. Yeah. Right, but it went from this... She became really a poultry uh, like professional Yes, um, to, to being a really a professional writer who was admired during her lifetime. Like, that's a pretty amazing leap. Well, well and I think... Um, I mean, of course, this was not something I thought about as a kid. Well, it no. is interesting that she was able to arrive at that career later in life. And so, mm-hmm. so often I think as a writer, you can get hung up on like oh, yeah. younger is better, hot new thing is better, but, or even like, can you be a writer and have kids, which is like sort of a debate floating around on the it internet sure right is, now. It sure is, right? happening right now, yeah. So, yes. But could she have even been a writer if she hadn't had Rose? I wonder how much, how much do you think Rose was? I always wonder how much heavy lifting Rose did, always. I just read the book today. Well, not even, not even in terms of ghostwriting it, but in terms yeah. of no, no. saying, Mom, you can do yeah, this. I think that's I, been I think debunked. that was a big part that, of saying, you can do it. Yeah. Um, I, have to, I have to kind of... You got a passage to read over there? N- well, I would like to read a passage, but also I just want to say that this book, which I had bought when my kids were little, West from Home, are letters from Laura Ingalls mm-hmm. Wilder to Almanzo when she was here in 1915. And they're so amazing because so many things in San Francisco are still the same. Yeah. And are still, but but reading the letters, you can see she's a naturally really good writer. Like she really sets scenes and tells stories. And I can't imagine what it must have looked like to her if she's the person who was a little girl who was blown away by whatever that Pepin, Wisconsin, which now has seven hundred people in it, to come here, it must have just completely. Or to see world. the ocean for the first time. Right, yep. or see and the she, ocean she, she for the first time. You know, I have never cared for cities, but San Francisco is simply the most beautiful thing. Set on the hills as it is, with glimpses of the bay here and there, and at night, with the lights shining up and down the hills, and the lights of ships on the water, it is like fairyland. 
that's very beautiful and apt and apt and so like it is now but yeah she put her she put her um, feet in the Pacific Ocean saw it for the very first time the salt water tingled my feet and made them feel so good all the rest of the day and just to think the same water that bathed the shores of China and Japan came clear across, across the ocean and bathed my feet in other words Almanzo I have washed my feet in the Pacific Ocean it's beautiful yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's a good jumping off point to talk a little bit about her skills as a writer and how you saw that as a young girl. How that, because you didn't wait till late in life to become a writer. You started early, right? Well, I was a journalist first. Yeah. Well, though I was writing stories Did since I was a kid. you say a journalist isn't a writer? <laughs> well, writer of books. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but the language and it's pretty economical. It's pretty tight. It's pretty structured. Did you notice those things when you were a kid? I think you just absorb them. I mean, it was at a level where, I mean, I read these books multiple times. I was going to say, how many times like, do you least, think you've read them? I mean, at least once a year, maybe, maybe more. Um, just, it was a... Uh, like I remember being a kid and reading so much that my eyes would cross at the end of the day. Did, has this happened to any of you guys? Oh yeah, where you can't focus anymore. Yeah, your eyes would burn. Did you ever do that thing yes. where you would be reading, 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 and then you'd get up to do something and your eyes couldn't refocus fast enough and you'd like walk into the wall or anything like <laughs> yeah. that? Did that ever happen? Maybe. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not to me either. Not to me. Yeah, I don't know. Nope. <laughs> so. I guess I'm saying, like anything, what is it, Malcolm Gladwell's like 10,000 hours, 10, hours to achieve a skill? That's why sometimes I think about um, all this structured reading the kids are supposed to do compared to the kind of reading I did when I was a kid. I do think there's value in just reading anything. I really believe that. I know that's uh, not what everyone thinks. Well, it is the start of summer reading days oh, for libraries. I know. And, and how does that work, Vanessa? Uh, well, my, actually, my sons were really excited about it because where we live, if you fulfill, if you read the, you know, enough books, you get entered into a drawing for a, a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Wait a minute. So even though Mixed they love to, they, even though they love books, he keeps talking about this Nintendo Switch. But I'm trying to explain to him that it's a drawing and not a guarantee. Oh, what is a Nintendo Switch? I'm a little out of it. It's a handheld. It's some kind of electronic it's like device. It's not a book. I can tell you that much. NES yeah. or whatever they were. The Game Boy became a Switch. Uh, it's a handheld gaming. System. You know what the problem for you is? There's two of them. Let's start. And fighting will ensue. Oh, oh about right, if, right, if, right. If one of them if, won. If, if one wins, yeah. The odds are unlikely. I know. Let's hope. We'll cross our fingers we'll, that you we'll don't get them. win. I mean, they read all the time anyway, but this is just... But this is a thing I hear from people a lot, like that they don't like what their kids are reading, or they're worried that they're not reading things that are up to grade level, or that are right. serious enough, and I just wonder if that's a problem. I just don't think it is. I don't know. Well, what do you I think, think if you just love to anything from the back of cereal boxes, yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I think. You should never... Or sometimes people might say, like, oh, I'm reading this corny book, or... Mm-hmm. I mean, like it, doesn't matter to me. I'm not. I know totally. About it, so. Totally. I I I I do like Kindle so that people can't see what I'm reading sometimes. Well, we talked about that. You yeah. put the bad books on your Kindle and the yeah. good books you buy so everyone can see yeah. you reading them. Or you can put the jacket of the, of oh. the National oh. Book Prize uh, <laughs> on the on the trashy book. <laughs> um, that's I had not thought of that. No, but that, I, I actually feel pretty strongly about this too. Um, when I taught high school, there was an issue always about what is appropriate curriculum for kids. Um, and once when I was teaching British Lit, I had a free, you know, choose a book, write a book report. And I let him, oh, it's written, you're reading, one kid read Irvine Welsh. I'm like, great. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Because it's a muscle that you have to develop, and you can develop it by reading anything, I think. not. I mean, yes, there's different levels of challenges the books present. That's a great book, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the pleasures that come from reading, but also it's, you know, when kids are studying for SATs and, like, doing flashcards at age 16, it's almost like, that's too late. You need yeah, to pick up right, these right. vocabulary words from reading throughout your childhood. But I'm saying I think it's easier to get them to love reading by letting them read stuff they love. Well, my husband, when he was a kid, his mom would let him stay up an extra half hour if he would read. And she would check out a stack of books every week from the library. So, And did that work? Oh, yeah. He loved did she read. Did she vet the books? I think she, I don't know, maybe she picked up a lot of sports books. I don't know. I hope it was so. just from the kids' section. When I was a Adventure kid, books. we actually were required to have a book at the dinner table, even though it's usually Wait the opposite. Minute. Well, it was so we didn't talk. <laughs> you came from a big family. <laughs> Hang on a second. So there's nine kids yep. eating smoked meats that you smoked yourself. <laughs> Home butter Cured. with fresh butter. <laughs> butter. Cured butter. Yes. Flying the, the, the um, uh, what, bladder balloons. Uh-huh. And you're all reading, you're not talking. Well, my father had a very small television, and he would watch that, and the rest of us were supposed to read and not interrupt. Oh, wait, him. you know, it sounds like those silent discos where everyone <laughs> has headphones and is in their own world. It was like that. <laughs> Did you talk about the books you were reading? No, the idea was to not talk. That was the point. Wait, how was the table big enough? We had a huge table. Yeah, it was like a big old table. We had two tables. Table. This is not about me, but <laughs> I was raised in a way where like books were a punishment. <laughs> Basically. Oh no! And they were now you're on a, and now you're a writer you and with the books. But podcast. I loved, I loved books. Yeah, and that I still have books. Fired on them. It, well, I don't think. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just there was no, there was nothing, there was no aura around books when I was growing up that there was something high-minded and um, and virtuous about them. They were like child control devices, <laughs> like an iPad. They were iPads. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We in my family, we just consumed them. You know, we just, and I don't think my parents read good books, what we would consider good books. Mm-hmm. But boy, they were at the library every week, just a big old stack of books. So I was there too with my big old stack Same. of sports books. Did you did you go to the library growing up? Oh yeah, I remember like better, just getting huge stacks. Yes. And it, was yes. there, was and there also, a rule how much you could take? I feel like we used to take a lot of books. I'm yeah, sure no I, I maxed it out. Oh, there's no limit. Um, I don't think there was at the time. Then they went to eight. Well, you could stamp them too. There was fifty. You could take fifty books. Alejandro says you can take 50 books out of the library. Well, and We're all meeting afterwards. What? Yeah. We're all taking How do you get them each. home? How do you leave with it? Oh, you don't have to bring them all back. You don't have to take them all at once. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, also, it used to be sort of more nifty when the... the oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, the the stampy thing. And you could kind of like... Did go you ever through. go into the library stacks and you'd find a book that had not been checked out? In my case, since like 1951, you'd be like, what could it be? And sometimes they were good. Yeah. Vanessa, do you presently own all nine books in the Little House series? I do not. Really? I have not. Uh, the, the period of rereading them again and again kind of ended in high school, um, at, at the end of high school. Um, and it's not like I grew up or like to be too big for, like to be too grown <laughs> up for the books, but uh, there's just other, and the stream of books coming my way is, is endless. Oh, yeah. So. That is true. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't have them around because how else are the boys going to find them? Well, it sounds like, well, there's the library and also it sounds like I should maybe fill out the rest of the collection. Perhaps you should. Can I just recommend, um, the audiobooks are excellent. Oh, okay. Of the, is the a narrator houses. male or female? Female. Interesting. And she's some famous actress whose name I know, don't remember, but she's really good. 
Do you have an audiobook version of your book of short stories? No. You but there will be one for the novel. Do the you novel, get to do it yourself? River of Stars. River of Stars by <laughs> Vanessa Waugh. It's so freaking good. And you know, uh, I actually had the experience with reading Vanessa's book where it hardly ever happens as an adult where you think, I have to go to sleep. I have to go to sleep. But I'll just read like a little tiny bit more. And I stayed up too late and I was very crabby, but oh my gosh, there's some twists that are amazing. I'm so impressed by the plotting of this book. Oh, thank you. How does it, how but does don't she do get that? People I know, I can't talk excited. about any of it. You I'm sorry. Until August. I, I know, it's August. You could pre-order it, though. Everyone's looking at me like I'm going to say something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you look like you're going to say something. I don't know. I get it. Or, or, or request it from your local library. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that is a good idea. Get on the list. So looking back at... Because we've got about 10 more minutes before. We're going to do a little Q&A afterwards. If you've got any questions for Vanessa. Um, this is, you, you chose this as your favorite book. We came to you and said, Vanessa, what's your favorite book? You didn't spend too much time thinking about it either. You went, boom, I know. No, I mean, it's I actually debated whether to pick um, Little Women because I've answered that way in the past. It also stars... Um, there's one of the Joe March. It's Writer. the 150th anniversary. Joe March. Oh, it's is the 150th of, anniversary. It is, it is. That's why there's a new like masterpiece theater. Oh, I didn't um, know this. With it, and Joe March is a character in the book who is a writer. She's also feisty. She also is also. also they're both kind of tomboys. Here. Yes, yes. Although I don't know if I was necessarily a tomboy, but just but as characters. I mean, there is some similarity between Joe March and um and Laura. Right. Or yeah, yeah. So, so I think you just answered my question because I was going to ask what drew you to this book other than finding it on the shelf. I'm sure you found lots of books on the shelf that you're not talking about. I read Candide in the 4th grade. <laughs> Were you like what's that about? Well, no, I totally or an animal farm. I like I oh, you thought it was like a, a book about hey, I thought it was a fake like animal fake. Yeah. I mean, I just it totally flew <laughs> like, over my the head. The farm. Yeah. Bad things happen on the farm sometimes. Do you continue to to find books where you identify with the main character like that? Are your main characters like that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I think any character I write, whether they're male or female, Chinese, a mother or not, I think are all going to reflect things that I'm interested or curious or passionate about. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's not, I don't think it's a like, on the nose, one to one correlation between my biography and my characters. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like what they're a, they're a map of what compelled me during the right. time I, I wrote the and, book. and ideas that interest yeah. you. Um, well, then, what is the lasting impact of reading these little house books on you? And and really, just to sort of build off that, to what degree do you think they nudged you a little bit toward becoming a writer? Oh, they definitely uh, led me to become. Um, a writer because as I said they just gave me like a very besides just taking me through all those adventures I knew that this woman this girl grew up we went through her life and um, that she was able to become a writer so it it opened the possibility and I do believe in the importance of representation and it would have been nice if when I was growing up there was something about a a, you know, if something like the Joy Luck Club had existed, but mm-hmm. it didn't. And so, um, I mean, in that same way, I've had people write me um, either about my columns or my books saying like, look, I'm not Asian, I'm not a woman, but I still, y- you hope that books can build bridges, mm-hmm. um, even if they're not exact mirrors. And then that there's a universality of, the, of what's happening in the themes. Yes. 
Uh, it looked like you were about to ask something over there. You're just shuffling your cards. No, I'm reading my cards. So I don't want to forget anything. Uh, well, I, I wanted to go back to her novel a little bit. <laughs> you just want to talk about the novel? Well, because I just finished it a few days ago and it was so good. But you can't talk about the novel because they Can I just it. say one thing about it? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Go on. <laughs> Please. <laughs> because, tell me more. Because, uh, well, when you were talking about, I, I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing to say, I've lived in San Francisco for 20 years, and of course I've been to Chinatown, but I've never thought of it as a neighborhood where people are really living. Like, I had even a kind of tourist relationship to... You saw everything on the ground floor and not the apartments And when you were talking about empathy, it just made me think about how much I learned about people in my own city from reading a story from the inside, right? I mean, it's incredibly important everyone has the ability to look through the eyes of other people. And I don't really like the idea of literature being instructional, that that's some necessity, but that's one of the amazing benefits of it, that your whole world gets bigger. Yes. And I mean, especially now we live in a time where the country seems so divided. Uh, Literary fiction is really a way that we can make our lives bigger because, uh, you know, go beyond the lines that we've drawn. Well, and I think that's what I was shooting for when I kept referring to this book as exotic to you. It's, it's showing you an experience that you may not have, <laughs> yes. but you're finding the universality. In Let's it. just use a different word. You don't like exotic. <laughs> right. You don't tell an Asian woman oh. that <laughs> she likes things because they're exotic. <laughs> it's fraught. Yes. I see. Fraught. Huh. What I have I another phrase. Into? A brothel in reverse. Yes. That's a great line. Not Laura Ingalls Wilder, no. but yeah. my, my novel. <laughs> I'm going to end with that because I just thought that was a brilliant way of describing this. Yeah, question. actually, I think we can wrap that up and leave some time for questions for Vanessa. Don't be shy because I can see all of you. <laughs> and I don't think we need a mic out there. We can just shout them Repeat out. it. Yeah. Oh, we oh. do have a mic. Is this on? Oh, hooray. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. I yeah. love the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, too, and I read them. I would, I would read those happy golden years. I never really cared for the first four years. That kind of bored me. I would finish that one, and then I would go back and read the that, whole The happy again. golden years is the romance. Right. And it's one of the best covers, I think. But I'm curious, because I have my definite favorites among the series and my ones that I didn't love as much. I'm wondering if among of the eight books or whatever, nine books, one or two that were your favorite over some others? Just curious. I definitely liked um, these Happy Golden Years as well, especially when I was a teenager. Um, The first book, you know, like I don't know how many times I read it. I mean, I just, like, it's like embedded in my, I remember when my husband and I started dating, I actually said, you can make butter from cream. And I put it in a jar. He didn't believe me. And we shook it forever and it was turning into whipped cream. And then suddenly bloop, it was like butter. You keep coming back to this butter thing. I think we, we should have brought. I'm like so blown away that you did it. Oh, you did it. It's a handbook to life. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then let me, th- and I mean, I, I read the one where and they. He's like, you're my dream girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to any guy in Montana, to any girl in Montana. Um, <laughs> and also the one where they lived um, in the, the den, the, the house on Plum Creek. Yes, the dugout. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then even um, the one where, I mean, there's episodes in every book that are just really captivating, where they ride a train for the first time or, yeah. 
Well, I loved, I loved all your talking about the reasons why this book is so rich or this series is so rich. But one thing I wanted to just um, contribute is this idea of our grandparents. And I love this series because I could imagine my grandparents doing these things. And, you know, my father's parents did, you know, come across the country and they lived in a sod house and, you know, all, and I didn't know all that and they didn't want to talk about it. So this was a window to a world that I felt was almost mine, but not quite. So um, I think the book really meant a lot to all of us. And I, I do want to underscore that the fact that there was like a female heroine was a big deal. Um, and no slight here, Larry, but it's just, there weren't a lot. It, maybe there were female heroines in books, but there definitely weren't female heroines in the world. I felt very much like women were not allowed to shine. So it was also nice. Well, this, this really you did cover, I think, very well. But I just wanted to say that was a big draw as well. And yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I can imagine if you came from a pioneer family or descendants, like how yeah, magical it, that would have been. It's a different relationship, but... It is interesting that the two books you have said are probably your favorites are not just female-centric, but also written by women. I mean, that's a completely different kind. I mean, you could say, oh, a Madame Bovary is about a woman, but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. Like, those are badass women in Little Women and in uh, Little House, the Little House books. I don't want to harp on the boys' book, girls' book thing, but <laughs> it strikes me that when we were growing up, I did not read. I started it. I think I might have been bored with it, but I wish in some ways it had been assigned reading in our school mm-hmm. since it sounds so historical. And I think it wasn't because it was viewed as a girl's book. And then when we were growing up, we we read uh, for a sign, like a signed fourth grade, fifth grade. It was Shane. It was... Um, Although I think Shane was written by a woman, wasn't it? Was just, it? Just no, an observation. Shane that they made into the movie? Yep. Lord of the Flies. Like all that these one, books <laughs> that girls were just assumed that they would read. It's a little bit like what we do with movies. And, and then boys would read, would like to read. And then girls would just... Girls are sort of more open, it seems. And that's a shame. And I think um, that it would, it would be... Is there a way, do you think, to get this into the, a curriculum? Because are you going to champion this book, Vanessa? <laughs> What's next, Vanessa? It's your power to champion this book. You know, you raise a really interesting point, Caroline, and I wonder if the issue was, how are we going to get boys to read? Because like you said, you know, how are you going to get boys to read? They don't want to read. How do you get boys to read books that star women? How do you get boys to go to movies that star women and are directed by women? How do you get boys slash men to do any of these things? Okay. (laughs) You go ahead. I read this article that was very powerful that said how important it was that boys do read girl books because when they don't, they don't empathize. Yeah. Because that's what books are about. They're about... As um, Bridget, you said, they're about crossing over into another world. And if you refuse to cross over into the world of the feminine as a male, first of all, you're cutting out all that's feminine in you and a lot of, and not getting in touch with that. But you're also not learning about that world of girls and women. And, um, and this woman made a very powerful argument that that leads to rape culture. 
so that we should really be starting very early with our boys reading girls' books. And that a lot of boys want to read these books, but they're ridiculed at such a young age. Uh, and so really, as libraries and schools and parents, we should you know, start uh, changing that. Definitely. I'm trying to think about, when because I have a boy and a girl, and what kind of books, and they're teenagers now, and what kind of books they were reading when they were young. And... I do feel like they're less gendered than books were when we were a kid. That was when what we I was kids. saying earlier. Think? Yeah, I think there's been an effort. And, and, even, and even just, I don't know if it's the same, beyond effort, like what kids are interested in, they're just allowed to be interested in, or maybe it's just where we live. I don't know. Um, I do feel like there were a lot, there was a lot more available than there was when I was a kid. I was also thinking about the Chronicles of Narnia. That was a series that I really liked when I was a kid, and that had both boys and girls. Oh, and the as, women were heroes. Yeah, or the girls. The were girls heroes. were heroes. The boys were heroes. And some of the books <laughs> the starred a girl. Guy. Some of the books starred. Or a a boy. Wrinkle in Time. Was yeah. Wrinkle in Time ever considered a girls' book? Yeah, I don't know. What do you, did you read? A Wrinkle in Time when you were a kid? I didn't know. I read all those books and I oh, loved yeah. them. They, I was really into those, but I was mostly into boys' books. I think. So I also love the uh, Little House on the Prairie books, and I was also an Asian immigrant girl growing up in the suburbs. And I think what I liked about it was actually its anti-exoticism, the fact that it was so all-American, and it seemed to me what America was about. And I also, the other aspect that I really really liked about it was the the self-sufficiency of it. And one of the other books that I really loved growing up was My Side of the Mountain, which is about a boy who escapes from uh, New York City and goes into the Catskills and is self-sufficient himself. And then from there I went to like Call of the Wild and things like that. Um, Was that self-sufficiency aspect also something that would, that became a theme in your, um, in your reading? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've always thought that, um, I mean, I don't know, (coughs) sorry, I don't know if this was conscious, but I've come to think, to understand how much like immigrants and immigrant families are strivers, and that's like also part of self-sufficiency, like figuring out how to how to do something even if you've never done it before, or figuring out a way even though like coming up with a solution for something. Like I maybe could see that modeled in my family, and it was something that I admired um, in in the books. Definitely. <clears throat> You know, those books wouldn't appeal to me at all because I grew up in New York City. At least that's what I think the reason is. Yeah. But, you know, interestingly, I read the Harry Potter books because somebody, I never thought I'd be interested in them either. But somebody gave me an e-reader and I was traveling and so I read all of them, you know, and they were like, wow, these are great books. Yeah. And did you read those books? Oh, yes. And my favorite, <clears throat> sorry, is, is the Prisoners of water. Azkaban. That's sort of like the return of uh, the the um, Empire Strikes Back of the series where you the fate of the, you know, everything is in balance and it's like sort of dark days. So I think that's that's my favorite book of that series. Did, did you recommend the um, the book after you read it? Oh, definitely. No. Oh. Did I recommend Little House in the Big Woods? Yeah. You know, it's very fresh in my mind because I just read it this afternoon. <laughs> but, Do you think you could make butter? Like right no, now? No, I don't think I can make butter or, or make a fashion a bullet. But, I know what we're going to be doing the next time we get together. <laughs> it's butter turning Bring that bread. And I, will t- and I will turn water into wine, but... Um, <laughs> It's harder to do than butter. I mean, it depends on the age group, I would say, because they're really well-written. 
You know, and, and, and actually, I have to say, for me, the part, because I only read the first one, the part that didn't really work for me is it, it just sort of, it was sort of picaresque. It just kind of went along. It's like, oh, this is the fall, this is the spring, this is the winter, this is what we do. And then we play the fiddle. But I think <clears> the other ones sound like there's more, more things happen. But um, yeah, I think I'd recommend it. Their life is in peril like every other page. No. And the later ones, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just set I mean, the there's scene. bears in this one. <laughs> yeah. But the bears don't bears come are that bad. close. Bears are Often. bad. I mean, if you're a settler. I'm not, they're not empirically I mean, bad. The, the Garth Williams illustrations, I definitely remember like yes. the panther yes. running through the treetops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and remember so, yeah, her sure. sister, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but really bad things happen to the family. And the thing is, it's not even the worst of what happened to that family. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. Totally. When you read what... Their, her life was really like it's like the sanitized version in terms of what they lost and what was at stake. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, we didn't really touch on that because I was struck by that too, just how heroic the father figure was in the books. And then reading his life story does not sound like the story of a heroic person. Well, I don't know. I mean, surviving and c- taking care of your family—that seems pretty heroic to me. Did he take care of his family? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of downtimes. Well, I think, you mean because, like, financially down The moving around a lot, the getting whatever jobs. I mean, oh, sure. Right. But, you do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were homesteading, like, in some cases. I, I know that at one point they go to Kansas um, thinking that they were homesteading, and it turned out that they were actually on reservation land. And so they had mm-hmm. put all this time and effort into creating a farm and had to abandon it. With glass it. windows. With glass windows and had to abandon it. Got the glass windows. I remember, that was actually on one of the episodes. And, and did you say that... The, it's a kind of a sanitized version of the father as well? Well, it's a simplified version for sure. But I, I, I also don't feel like it's a, um, like this vision of he's this perfect, heroic, simpleton something. I don't know. There's something gritty about, even in this children's view of her parents. I mean, I think... Like she, you see it, their struggle. Yes, I mean you. You, they know. Um, I mean, it's just unspoken. She, yeah, understood her. Like they had to move because, on some level, that her parents were failing, but they weren't going to discuss their finances right. with her. She was a child. In book one, both parents seem pretty unflappable. Yeah, whatever comes their way, and he he laughs off. Oh, I thought it was a bear, and it turned out to be a stump. <laughs> Thank God. And they and they and they discipline. But it always seems to make sense. I don't know. They seem pretty. It's a kids' book, Larry. Yeah, they're good. They're good. They're good people in the books. I don't. Yeah, of course they were much more complicated. I mean, if you read the Prairie Fires, you also find out these things that happened in town that were truly horrific that don't make it into the book, like mm-hmm. immolation of drunks and things like that. Yeah, no drunks in a no in the children's version. We've got time for one more. Or no more. Didn't you just say that she wrote it for adults? Oh, I'm sorry. How yeah, did it, how oh, did so, so she wrote, uh, when she originally conceived of the book, it was uh, for adults. Um, and it was called Pioneer Girl. And I, I think she tried to shop it around and it didn't right. sell. Yeah. Right. And then someone gave her the advice that she should write in this Well, the story books. is it was her daughter. Oh, it was her daughter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so... Um, so I, I don't know if that that I, I don't know if that I think that manuscript might exist somewhere, but not sort of. It's been republished in a kind of truncated version, um, but it's never been. I don't think a widely read book in any way. It was 
in some ways, just like episodic summary, it wasn't sort of lyrical and elaborated upon as it is in the children's book. I mean, the thing about a children's book is it gives it its own arc, which is what's going to happen to this girl and what's mm-hmm. going to happen to this family. Um, and that's nice. And and that's one of the reasons why um, version after version is kind of exciting is because they keep moving to these slightly new places and you're hoping they're going to get ahead and that it's all going to turn out okay. And it does. They fall in love. Yes. So <laughs> Vanessa can't a- answer this question, but how faithful was the TV show to the books? Oh, because you never saw the... Yeah. I mean, I think I would see an episode or two from what I heard. I but even in the books, everything was like composite characters. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this. Didn't... There, there, wasn't there a very memorable TV villain, Nelly? Oh, yeah, Nelly. yeah. Was it? Even I, I mean, I remember that. Nelly Olson. I was like Nelly Nelson, Nelly Nelson, Nelly Olson. It was nothing like. <laughs> yeah, it was about him. He did and look his hair. Good. Oh, that hair! <laughs> oh, that hair! From where I sit, oh, that hair. I and I never really liked it that much. It, it, it was the same thing, like. It was too close. It was kind of my op- the opposite experience to for reading something that seemed, I don't know, like your grandparents. It seemed too close. When I would watch the TV show, I would just think this is so stupid. But that's so interesting that the show became about him. Well, but he's the star. He had, didn't he? Did he produce it too? Yeah, or he had some sort so. of creative control. I think so. It really was about him. Although she was a big character, it was never clear to me watching the show why Laura was the main character. Do you know what I mean? She's much more of a good goody on the show. Yeah. And you never really saw the struggle as much on the show. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm t- I don't mean to go off on the show. But <laughs> much more of a, good, a goody goody on the show. It, I mean, I was also, no, I wasn't watching the show religiously because I was too old to be interested by the time it came out. But I was I'm really into. You guys. They adopted a boy. That must have been to bring in boy viewers. And he, I thought he was very cute. He was in Tiger Beat magazine. I don't remember his name, though. Oh, I vaguely remember that. You were reading Tiger Beat? No, no. I remember seeing the cover, and they would say, you know. He was super cute. I don't think he was in any of the books. but That's when you know the show is Jump the Shark, when they have to adopt. It's Cousin Oliver (laughs) effect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we are out of time. Vanessa, tell the people in the audience uh, how they can find you online. Sure. Um, I'm at www.vanessahua.com. I also have a mailing list um, in the back, which you know I'll tell you about events, giveaways, all fun, fun stuff. And there's also postcards um, for my novel. And also, if you are interested in learning more about the San Francisco Writers Grotto, which is oh, where yeah. we are all housed, um, you can <laughs> house take us. classes there. There's also information back there as well, and about the podcast, which you should subscribe to on iTunes. Yeah, oh you can God. actually follow us on Twitter at the Grotto Pod. Um, and email us at grottopod or grottopod at gmail.com. Yeah, you should. You should do that. And you know what? I'd like to thank the San Francisco Public Library, our partners, and for this great evening. And to all of you. I know. Yes. Thank you for coming, for pushing your way in. And I also want to thank our partners, Babylon Salon, San Francisco's premier reading series. And you guys, if you're interested, you can go on Saturday, June 2nd at 6 p.m. to the Armory Club and see some great readers and have a great evening in SF. Free. That's Free. Right. And our next event here will be July 24th. Mm-hmm, with Matthew Zapruder. Matthew Zapruder will be our guest. Poet. Poet and awesome personality. And this isn't our usual setting, but I'm going to have us go out the same way we always go out, which is Bridget saying... Oh, yes. I say, read, write, and just keep working. 
Thank you.